Good morning. Welcome, church. Wonderful to see all of your lovely faces this morning. If you would stand with us, we're going to worship, if you're able. I'm just going to open us in a word of prayer. God, I just thank you so much for every person in this room. We're so blessed and grateful that you've brought us together as a family, as a community, and we just want to honor that this morning. And the Holy Spirit residing in each of us, God, we're just so grateful for this opportunity to gather and to share in your word and worship together and just to love each other. God, I just ask that you would grow our love for each other, that we would be known, as your word says, by our love for each other. And God, I just thank you. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you this morning. We are just so humbled to be here in your presence. So we ask that you would come, that you would just inhabit our praise, that we would sense your presence as we sing, that we would really think about the words that we're saying. And Lord, we're just really blessed. Just help us to know how good you are this morning. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going to do something a little different because I'm going to move this way and play the piano this morning. So if you guys would, just join with us to sing. And putting this over here. I'm going to switch mics. I'll just take an opportunity this morning as we sing to just let those words permeate our hearts, the things that we know in our heads, the doctrinal truths that we sing about that the only way that those can align with our hearts is if we allow the Holy Spirit to do that, right? So I just want us to just be aware as we sing to think about these words, the things that feel really true and that you can really rejoice in and the things that are hard and just ask the Holy Spirit to help us this morning. Amen. I'm back. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. In my wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. My 
chapter 15, verse 13, it says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is just a prayer of response. You can pray it or you can just let me read it over you. God of hope, I put my trust in you. As I spend this time with you, may your joy and peace fill me and your hope overflow through me. Amen. Your kingdom is simple. As simple as love You welcome the children You stop for the one We want to see people The way Jesus does Your kingdom is simple Lord, teach it to us your kingdom is humble, as humble as death. His king is a savior who gave his last breath. So may we die daily, our pride laid to rest. His kingdom is Broken our bless. Hallelujah. Hallowed be your name. May we live and breathe your praise. Hallelujah. Let all creation say, all oh, the King. 
continue playing while we enter into a time of prayer because um, I'm just thinking about the words of that song and I just want to pray some of those words over us this morning. So we are going to go into a time of prayer. We often call this our corporate time of prayer because we are a body. We are one united body, but we are made up of many parts. And it's important to acknowledge that the many different parts that make up this body are going through different things. 
And so this is a time where we can intercede for one another and just run to the Father's arms ourselves. And so as we go into this time of prayer, I want you, I want to invite you to take a posture that is comfortable for you. And if that is to be seated, then you are welcome to be seated. But I also want you to know that you can stand, you can kneel, you can come to these altars, which are always open and here for you. But my prayer is that you would, as much as you can, run into the embrace of your Father this morning. Let's pray. God, this morning, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, God, that even when it feels like everything might be falling apart all around us, that we can hold on to the truth that you are good. And God, there are things that happen in this life, things that happen to us, things that we see that happen to other people, to people we love. And Lord, rightfully so, it, it makes us question. We can't acknowledge or deny that this morning. We all have questions. We have all questioned at one point or another. If we are honest, we have questioned just how good are you? But I love that we were reminded in the song, My Lighthouse, that even in the questions, your truth will hold. We can have those questions. I believe that you are not intimidated or afraid of those questions. But we are invited to explore those questions and to think about those things that we can't deny feeling. But God, I wholeheartedly believe that because of the kind of God you are, because of the God we see in scripture and because of the God who has been faithful to me my whole life, at the end of the day, I can say, but you are good. God, I pray that you would meet those in the, that are in this place this morning of that questioning and that doubt. They're doubting, they're looking they're desperately searching for the good. God, would you show them your goodness? God, in this moment, would you re reveal your goodness? God, through your presence, would you reveal your good love for us that is truly all around us? God, we thank you for being the light. We declare this morning that you are the light. You are the light in the midst of a dark and broken world. And there are times where we are searching for that light, even through thick, the thickest of darkness. But God, we know that the light is there because you are there, you are here. You stepped into the midst, the thick of our darkness. And you brought the light. God, I pray this morning for those who need hope. For those who are searching maybe for your goodness, for the light. God, I pray that you would be their hope. For that person that is 
desperately reaching for something to hold on to, God, would you just throw your hope toward them and may that hope rescue them and safely guide them back to you. God, this morning for people who are experiencing maybe turmoil or chaos, maybe it just feels like all around them things are feeling shattered, there's unknown. God, maybe there's health concerns or health conditions that are leaving us just fearing the unknown. We think of those who are fighting those battles with their health this morning. God, they come to mind right now. We, we intercede for those who are fighting for their lives. God, would you be their peace? Because I'm sure that nothing can cripple our fear as quickly as being faced with our mortality or the unknown. So God, would you be the peace in the midst of that unknown? God, this morning we pray that you would be our joy. That as we run into your arms, as we are running after you, as we are, are seeking you, and for some of us it's taking everything we have to get up and come toward you. And yet we will always find that you are already running toward us. God, as we meet you this morning, May we experience the riches of your joy and your love. God, we just take a moment. We just take a moment to share what it is that's on our hearts with you. Thank you for being here in this place. God, we continue to search for truth this morning. I pray, Lord, that as we open up your word, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts to receive the word you have for us today, your living word. Help it to come alive again today. Holy Spirit, would you anoint these words so they truly would not be my own, but yours. God, as we wrestle with a difficult passage, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you give us the ears to hear? Would you give us the eyes to see? And would you give us a willingness to obey? we love you and we thank you for being a God who is capable of being all these things that we have declared and for helping us with all things. You are good. You are good and you are faithful and we love you. And we pray all of this in the name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated.
Thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Bo, for leading us in worship this morning. Thank you to those of you who helped um, set up this morning for our fellowship with Pam for her last Sunday. And I know that it's going to take some a little bit of cleaning up afterwards, so we just thank you, those of you that help us with those things. So many of you help in so many ways, and so thank you. We appreciate you all so much this morning. All right, well, I'm going to ask you if you are reading in your Bibles or if you're opening up your Bible app to turn to Luke chapter 16 this morning. Last week, we were in chapter 15. For those of you who are just joining us today, we are going through the Gospel of Luke. We've been here all summer, um, and summer is, is quickly leaving, although it's not leaving without making sure we don't forget it. <laughs> Because it's like, oh no, I'm not going to leave here that smoothly and easily. So here's some 100 degree weather so you don't forget it. Um, But anyway, so as we go into the fall, into the season of fall, um, we're going to be in this series um, probably up until the season of Advent. But um, it's been good so far. Last week we were in Luke chapter 15. We looked closely at the parable of the lost son. Um, That was a, a meaningful time together as we... Um, just try to identify where we were in that story, in that parable. This week, um, it's a little, I feel like that one was at least a, somewhat comforting. There was, of course, some truth there as we have to acknowledge, am I the older son or am I the younger son that's coming back home and, and being received? Of course, we all are, but this week is a little, it's not going to flow as smoothly or easily, I don't believe. Um, this one is a tricky one. And I will say again, this is one that I just felt like they really probably won't mind if we pass this one by, and I'm sure that will be fine uh, because I am, I'm very uh, intimidated by this passage. But I will say that as I just kind of sat in it all week long and as I whew, read and read and read and read and studied and just open myself up to understanding this, maybe in a little bit of a different way than than what I used to or how I typically understand it, I do feel um, a little more confident and capable of preaching this passage. But I will just tell you, I say this all the time, um, that I'm wrestling with these things too, right? I don't ever want to come up here like, I've got this all figured out and I'm going to preach exactly what Jesus is saying. I'm going to be as faithful as I can to preach what I believe Jesus is truly saying. But you have to know that I'm probably going to say some things that you don't like, and I'm probably not going to say some things that you would like me to say in regards to this passage. And I just need you to know that because I can't preach for hours and hours, um, I already try to keep it short because some people you know, already think it's too long, but um, I'm wrestling with these things too. And conversations about these things are necessary and needed as we wrestle together with these things, okay? So I just want to acknowledge that this morning. Um, So we're going to be in Luke chapter 16. Um, We're reading this morning a parable. And here's the thing, it doesn't come off sounding like a parable at first, And there's no language there or title there that says the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. However, I've come to understand this week that this story that Jesus tells was a well-known ancient folktale. I 
listen, if any of you have more knowledge on this than I do, I searched and searched all week to try to find this folktale and more details on it, and I came up short every time um, on the exact details of this. So if any of you know uh, what this ancient folktale is and maybe where I can read more about it, I would love to know. Uh, But I read several commentaries and several scholars acknowledge like this was a well-known ancient story that Jesus is telling, but he seems to put a little bit of a twist on it. And the reason that's important, parable or not parable, I don't know for certain that we are to take away from this literal truth about things like the afterlife. Okay, Uh, we certainly will have questions and we might even have some ideas based on this story, but I'm not sure that that's exactly what we are supposed to take away from this story, which appears to be a parable. Jesus is, does not seem to be telling a literal story of something that has happened or will happen, but he's telling a story. It's a parable. And it's a parable about, and if you kind of look at the surrounding context, you'll see that this is a parable about the dangers of the idolatry of wealth and pleasures and the things that keep us from noticing those around us and only focused on ourselves. Because this story is situated right in the middle of of Luke chapter 16, where Jesus has just told the story, the parable of a shrewd manager. He's talking about money. I did skip that one. You're welcome, because we've talked a lot about those. That one felt a little bit redundant uh, compared to what we've already talked about a few, you know, several weeks ago at several different times. But Jesus still has that in mind, right? And he's speaking to the Pharisees again, again with the Pharisees. I know, I'm sorry, again. But in verse 16, like we need to understand that he's saying to the Pharisees, he says in verse 16, you Pharisees who love money, or the Pharisees who loved money, they heard all of this and they were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, you are the ones, he's speaking to the Pharisees, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. Jesus is God in the flesh. And so Jesus is addressing what is in their heart. God knows your hearts and what people value highly In other words, what we orient our lives around is detestable in God's sight. And now he's going into a story to tell just how detestable it is in God's sight. He he addresses some other things there, verses 16 through 18, that might seem completely unrelated, that that might seem a little bit out of context, but I really appreciated how scholar N.T. Wright, he just almost never fails to tie things together that don't make sense at first. And he says, uh, N.T. Wright says, in all of these passages in chapter 16, we find the underlying challenge to be faithful. Faithful in our use of money, faithful to God rather than money, faithful in our hearts, not just in our outward appearances, faithful to the kingdom which has now begun with Jesus, and even, yes, faithful in our marriages, which he acknowledges to the Pharisees. He says, N.T. Wright says, as soon as we begin to think of money or land or even people as commodities, as the Pharisees were guilty of doing, we might own or exploit, I'm sorry, we might own or exploit and we take a step away from our vocation to be truly human beings 
God's true children, and towards the other master who is ready to accept new servants. So in other words, Jesus is addressing issues within the Pharisee's heart, and he knows that the Pharisees are trying to get by on a technicality with the law, right? They're trying to kind of get by on a technicality while failing to do what they've been called to do time and time again. So as we read this story together in just a moment, I want you to have this in mind, okay? That this is not a story or even a sermon whose main focus is hell, that's not really what we're trying to, to, to really focus on today. Yes, this story deals with the afterlife and, and we're kind of faced with this image or idea of, of hell and, and what that entails, but that's not the main focus of this sermon today. And so I just want, to, I want you to keep that in mind as you search for the root, search for the root of what Jesus is trying to say here, okay? So I'm gonna invite you to stand this morning if you are able And we're going to open ourselves up to the word of God found in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores, and he was longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and they licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony of this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, Between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Friends, this is the word of the Lord this morning. Are you thankful? Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I kind of have addressed a little bit about what this sermon is not about today. I'm not saying that that's not what the, uh, that's not addressed in the passage, but that's not where the sermon is going today. And so I kind of want to focus for just a moment on the two main characters or the two main people in this story. So Jesus identifies that there is this rich man, right? And we are, Jesus uses brilliant language in this parable to help us to really understand truths that he doesn't have to just come out and say, but he's actually communicating some, some significant truths in the, 
language that he chooses to use. And so he talks about how this man uh, lived in luxury and he dressed in fine linens and in purple linens. And that is a signal that he was not just like doing okay, but he was very, very wealthy, right? The purple cloth, purple cloth, purple clothing was a sign of great wealth and power. And so Jesus gives us that detail to help us understand that this man lived in luxury. He wanted for nothing. He had everything he could have ever desired to have. And he gives, he tells, he uses language that it communicates to us that every day this man had feasts. Right? He ate whatever he wanted, how much, however much he wanted. And that wasn't a typical thing for everyone. Not everyone was able to feast every day. In fact, many, most were not able to feast every day. But this wealthy man was able to eat whatever he wanted every day with no cares in the world. We imagine that he must have lived in an immaculate home, and it is separated with this gate. Right? There's another sign of, of just how wealthy he is that he's got this, this he has this gorgeous home probably protected by this gate. And on the other side of this gate that separates him from the rest of the world, there is this man who, by the way, has a name. Notice that? That's going to be important later. This rich man is not named. He does not have a name. But on the other side of this gate is a man whose name is Lazarus. And Lazarus, Jesus would want us to understand that Lazarus, we've talked a lot about outcasts throughout this series, and Lazarus was the very definition of an outcast, right? Like, he is who should come to mind when we think of these outcasts and those who have been pushed to the margins. We see this time and time again in Luke's gospel, and Lazarus is that person. He is destitute. He is poor. He has nothing. It's likely because of this health condition that he has, which covers his body in these sores. And he is hungry. Every day he's hungry. I imagine that Lazarus was never satisfied. Like he, he probably had something to eat here and there, maybe scraps or crumbs here and there, but he never ate until he was satisfied. And so here he is waiting on the other side of this gate, just hoping that this rich man might bring some of the breadcrumbs that he uses to clean up after himself, because that was a thing. And maybe he'll give those crumbs to Lazarus. That's what Lazarus is, is waiting for, hoping that he can have something, even the food that is used to just kind of clean up the mess afterwards. And he's in the company of these dogs. And listen, don't, don't picture like your cute, sweet little dog at home. This, these were not like house dogs, trained house dogs who were just there to keep him company and, and kind of be his companion. But these were wild, starving dogs who clearly are just looking for something to fill their stomachs. And so they help themselves to the sores that are all over his body. These are not friendly, playful dogs. This is Lazarus's reality, right? He sits, probably lives on this bench. I, I learned this week that there were these stone benches that were kind of built into the walls or the, next to the gates that, that surrounded these homes. And poor people would wait on these benches. 
I think they're even still there today. Like, even though everything else has been nearly destroyed and demolished, I think you can still see these benches today. And so Lazarus is, wait, is laying or sitting on these benches, just waiting and hoping that someone might notice him and give him something. And I imagine, and, and Jesus alludes to this, that the, the rich man who is not named leaves his house maybe every day, and he passes right by Lazarus, and he never sees him. He might like, you know, see him. He might see him, doesn't make eye contact with him. Maybe he notices the nuisance that is laying on this bench, but he never really sees him. And I wonder if we can relate to this. I was thinking about this this week because I think that we could acknowledge that there are Lazaruses, if you will, around us everywhere today. There's Lazaruses all around every day, and maybe we don't see them, or maybe we also avoid them. We don't make eye contact with them. We might pass them by, but we too often, not always, we often might pass by without seeing them, like really seeing them. And if we are forced to see them, I think a lot of times we're tempted to come up with excuses that keep us from pausing to notice them or really acknowledge them, right? Like we're tempted to think things about the Lazaruses like, oh, why can't they just go get a job, right? Like everyone's hiring. Why can't they just go get a job? Why can't they just work harder to change their condition, why can't they just see that they're capable of doing more? There's so much more that they could do to help themselves. They could if they really wanted to. And if I give them something, my time or, or money, they're probably just going to do something with it that they shouldn't do. They're probably scammers. They probably just want something from me, and they're not interested in actually improving their situation, and therefore I'm protective of my hard-earned money and my valuable time, especially when they can just go and do something, make something of themselves. I think these are the things we are tempted to think when we see the Lazaruses all around, whether they're sitting at an intersection or not. That's kind of the typical image that we have, but I was even thinking this week that the Lazaruses are all around. They're not always the poor and those who are just asking for money. But I think of, of the Lazaruses as anyone in our midst who is struggling, who is caught in this endless rut of despair. And our response, often in the things that we do or don't do or say or don't say, our response is, well, you should do better. You could if you really wanted to do better. And we do nothing. Not always, but often. I think that's the temptation. Whatever it is, maybe I'm being unfair this morning. Whatever it is, maybe we're still in a way seemingly ignoring or failing to see the Lazaruses. Similar to this wealthy man who didn't see Lazarus. He sat there every day. This week I couldn't help but think, who who are the Lazaruses that I see every day or a couple of times a week, but I just don't see them, right? Like maybe I haven't seen them, but they are there. 
Like this wealthy man who, who passes by every day and he notices maybe, but he doesn't see them until the story takes a bit of a turn and, and suddenly they're in the afterlife and now he sees Lazarus. Did you notice that in the story that now here he is in this place of, of torment? They both die, which by the way, Lazarus dies and you should just know like nobody would know right? Lazarus dies and no one knows. No one knows his name. No one is there to celebrate his life or to care for his body. More than likely, Lazarus died completely alone. Whereas this wealthy, this rich man, when he died, it would have been a big deal. People would have known. They would have celebrated his life. He would have had what we imagine in our minds, a funeral It would have been a big deal and everybody would have known. They would have been there. But now they're in the afterlife. And Jesus is focusing on the afterlife and he's tapping into these ancient views of the afterlife. And and suddenly the rich man sees Lazarus. And this is kind of like interesting and, and we kind of, I almost just chuckled, like, I don't really know what to make of this, that now here he is living in torment and, and he's separated from, from God. We imagine that Abraham represents presence with God because Abraham was a friend of God, right? And he now suddenly sees Lazarus and he doesn't just see Lazarus, but he knows his name. He knows his name and he's, I'm sorry, but it seems like he wants to make Lazarus his servant in the afterlife, as he appeals to Abraham. And I mean, think about the question. Abraham, could you send Lazarus to get me some water? I'm so thirsty. I'm being tormented. I I just need Lazarus to go get me some water. Like you have one request. He doesn't ask to get out. He doesn't ask to be rescued. He just asks for Lazarus to go get him some water. And then later, He appeals to Abraham again when Abraham says, no, there's this great chasm between us. We can't get to you. You can't get to us. And so then he asks Abraham to send Lazarus to his family. Okay, well, fine. Could you send Lazarus to go warn my brothers? And again, we're kind of forced to think like, what about everyone else's brothers? What about everyone else? He is focused on one thing and one thing only, even in the afterlife. He's focused and worried about himself and his own. Everyone else is still invisible to him except for Lazarus who can maybe do something for him in this moment. And friends, that is a problem. Jesus is acknowledging and addressing this because it's a problem. Jesus is is addressing a much bigger problem that is, that exists among those who follow God and who have been told by God time and time again how they ought to live, and they refused. Listen, the more I read and studied this passage this week, I I really believe that this passage is not meant to satisfy our questions about hell. Because, and it's kind of hard, because not only do I hear fairly often that pastors and preachers don't preach enough about hell anymore. Like people really want to hear about hell. And that's a, a, 
That's a, a tricky thing to, to ask someone to preach often about when there's so much that we don't know or understand. But then this particular passage has actually been brought to me, and I've had requests before uh, from people who say, could you speak about how hot it's going to be in hell? Because I think that would help people. I am serious. <laughs> that is a legitimate request that I have received before that I think you need to talk about how hot it's going to be and like how miserable they're going to be. And they'll point to this passage. And does this passage bring questions and curious thoughts to mind? Of course it does. But I think we're missing something so much bigger if we reduce this passage to simply it's a passage on hell and how hot it's going to be and how horrible it's going to be. Because to me, it brings up so many other questions about hell that this passage does not address and does not answer. Right? And so I think that this morning we need to understand that Jesus is not trying to answer questions about hell in this passage and in this moment, but instead he is addressing a serious problem. He is looking to those who are not only among the people of God, but they are the experts. They are the ones that everyone else is looking to. They're examples. They are the expert in these things. And Jesus is saying, you have a problem. You have it backwards. And I'm trying to help you understand just how serious it is and just how serious God takes this. I don't have anywhere near enough time to highlight the countless times in the Old Testament where we read what God has called his people to do and what God has asked of his people. It's there. If you don't know and if you, like, you need to go and look because it's there. And when Jesus talks about the, the Moses and the prophets, that's what he's talking about. It's what we understand as the Old Testament. And so many times, Jesus says, you have been told so many times, Moses taught this to you and you didn't really listen to him. And so Prophet after prophet after prophet came and disaster after disaster after disaster came. And I have only ever communicated one thing to you that you are to do and you didn't listen. Like I'll just, because I don't know if you really understand, because you might think, well, it's there, but like I just pulled out a few from just one book from Deuteronomy, just one section of the book where God says these things to his people who, who concern themselves with tithing. And, oh, we tithe. We are faithful and God has called us to tithe. And so we tithe. But then God also addresses, but I've commanded you to give to the foreigners, to the fatherless, to the widows who live in your towns so that they can come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in the work of your hands. God has said to them, there shouldn't be poor and needy people among you. Did you know that God says that? God tells his people in Deuteronomy 15 verse 4, there shouldn't be any poor people among you. You should be addressing the need and the issue. God says, if anyone is poor among you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. He says, don't take advantage of the hired worker who is poor and needy. Whether that fellow worker, by the way, is an Israelite or a foreigner. He addresses that too. Whether they are one of you or not one of you, you are to be fair to them, pay them their wages every single day because they need it. They need it to 
survive. They needed to live. He says, otherwise, if you don't, they will cry out to me. Deuteronomy 24, he says, they will cry out to me and I will call out to you and you will be guilty of sin. He says, when you're harvesting, leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, and so on. It goes on and on and on. God has countless times. It's like a parent who just says the same thing to their children over and over. It's exhausting. And you say, how many times do I need to tell you? That's God. I've told you so many times, and you just don't listen. You don't obey. Jesus is, is, is speaking with the heart of God, and he says, I've revealed my heart to you. God has revealed his heart to you. This is how his people are to live, and this is how you are to bless those around you. And he tells them, you've been given the law and the prophets. You have been given these things. And it shouldn't be lost on us this morning as we are thinking about all of this. It shouldn't be lost on us that the very people Jesus is speaking to, and I just, don't you love that clever example that Jesus uses, that even if Lazarus rises from the dead, does that help you think of another Lazarus in scripture who also rose, who Jesus raised him back to life? He was brought back from the dead, and what happened? Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. This is serious now. He's bringing people back from the dead. Time to kill him. And, and also, by the way, there's Jesus who was brought, who was resurrected to new life. They didn't believe then either. So there's that, right? I just love how he includes that, that no, you won't believe because it will happen and you still won't listen. Friends, the tragedy of this story, of this parable is that this rich man who represents those being condemned by Jesus in this moment, the tragedy of this parable is that he knowingly walked in a direction that was away from God. He consistently, day by day, he would walk in a direction going in the opposite direction of where God is and where God's heart is. God has always been clear and he's always been just. And those, he says, who are neglected, those who are unseen by his people and who are neglected will be seen by him and will be cared for by him. And those who have disobeyed him are urged to repent and to turn and, and go in a new direction, one that is toward the heart of God, not away from it. And so that's important because we need to understand that this man, I don't, I don't think this man ended up here by accident. I think a lot of times, I know I said this wasn't about hell, but I also can't stop thinking about how when we think of hell and when we, when we communicate things about hell to other people, a lot of times what is communicated is this idea that it's going to be like a surprise and like forever burned into my brain, I will remember this play that I saw when I was a kid. Why? I have no idea. Just to give you a little hint, it was called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. And I was like five years old and I remember, you've seen it, some of you have seen it. 
I literally remember like putting my head in between my hands and like clasping my ears closed as much as I could because in this play, they depict people literally being dragged into hell. Dragged into hell. And I think that this passage challenges that idea a little bit. I don't think this man ended up there and was like, oh, wait a minute, how did I get here? This is not what I wanted or intended. Because he's there and he's not concerned with how to get out, but he's concerned with, again, like, how can you help me in this place where I find myself? The problem in this story also is not that this wealthy man was wealthy, right? We need to understand that while Jesus was addressing an important issue with the Pharisees, that you do have a concern and care for money, and that is distracting you from what you ought to be concerned with, and you're being, you're told what to do with all of this money that you have, and you're not doing it. So there is that issue for sure. But the problem, this man did not go to hell because he was wealthy, The problem is that his wealth, something that could have been used for good, something that was a good gift and it could have been used for good, it kept him from doing the very thing he was supposed to do. It was his wealth and his status that defined him rather than God's call. And in the end, it's a reminder that in the end, we are all going to be faced with the reality of what we made with our lives and the gods that we chose to serve while we lived those lives. And like the brothers that the rich man begs to to be warned, Jesus says, you've been told. I have communicated this to you time and time again, and no person, whether they're resurrected or not, no one is going to change that. The main focus of this, again, is is not on hell. But if it was, if we could just acknowledge it for a moment, I would say that we're challenged to think. Again, I'm not not trying to act like the expert in these things. But if if we think about hell, I, I wonder if we are challenged to consider that a life or an afterlife separated from God is not going to be one that catches us off guard. I think we're challenged to consider whether or not that is something that we day after day, decision after decision, just continually walk toward and therefore choose for ourselves. These are hard things to wrestle with. But I really appreciate how C.S. Lewis, he addresses those 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 just those thoughts that we have regarding hell, right? And, and I just love how he, he helps us in our thinking. And so in his book that I'm sure many of you have heard of and probably read, The Great Divorce, he, he talks about, and this seems to be in alignment with what we read in scripture, but C.S. Lewis says, and I find it so helpful that there are only two kinds of people in the world, in the, or in the end, he says. There will be those who say to God, thy will be done, And there will be those to whom God says in the end, I will be done. 
He says, I don't, he says, all that are in hell, choose it. And without that self-choice, it wouldn't be hell. And I don't think that we have all the right answers. <laughs> in fact, I know we don't. We don't have all the right answers regarding afterlife and judgment. But I think that this is something we ought to consider as we consider God's heart and as we acknowledge our own heart and whether or not it's aligned with God's. But again, the main focus today, friends, this is a story, again, this is another story of a great reversal. This is a story where Jesus declares once again that the named, when you had a name, you were someone who was known, you were important, you were worthy, you were known by your name. Your name held so much value during this time. And so it's so important that Jesus makes a point to not acknowledge this man's name, right? Because that that is the importance of you. It was in your name. And so Jesus is communicating that the named, those who are highly regarded but have no regard for the no-named, those who people don't care about and don't pay attention to, they're going to be forgotten. They wanted to be left alone, so they will be. Whereas the no-named, those who were never seen by the people of God, they are now seen by Jesus, and they are given a name. The poor, destitute person is given a name, while the wealthy elite is nameless. That's how God's kingdom works. And that's faithful to Mary's song that she sings when she is pregnant with Jesus. Right? She even says in her song, the Lord has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. And Jesus even acknowledges that in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, those who are well-fed now will go hungry, and those who hunger will be satisfied. This is the kingdom of God, and it's a backwards, upside-down kingdom. This is a story of reversal. I'm going to ask, I was going to say the praise team, but I'll ask Bo and Nikki to come back and, and we're going to prepare for a time of response, which whew, I sense that we have, like, I have this heavy sense that we need this time to just kind of process and open ourselves up to God to kind of clarify or help make sense of probably all the things that I didn't get right or, you know, confused But I think what we are supposed to be thinking about this morning as we respond to this passage, to this story, is that when God's people failed to humanize people like Lazarus and care for them, God doesn't forget him, just as he promised, right? God sees Lazarus and he humanizes him and he reverses those roles once again. I really like how, and I'll, and I'll close with these last few words, I like how Pastor Kendra Mon she says, alleviating the suffering of our neighbors is a clear calling for those who wish to follow Jesus. Our responsibilities to one another in this life are real. 
Fear may not be a good motivator, but compassion, vocation, stewardship, and gratitude can be. Everything to be done has already been done, and we've already been given all we need. And so we are encouraged to respond and give to those who have need. And so this morning, I want to identify maybe two different people who might be listening to this story. And maybe once again, you kind of are wondering, like, which person do I connect with in this story? And there's really only two options. But for those of you who maybe identify with Lazarus, maybe you're not destitute, right? But maybe like Lazarus, you feel overwhelmed in life and you're overwhelmed by the needs that you have. They're so great and they just seem to be growing all the time. Or maybe like Lazarus, you feel completely unseen. Maybe you feel like people don't see you, people don't really see you, they don't know you, and so you just feel like you walk through life feeling unseen. This morning, you need to know that God sees you and that his kingdom is simple and it's for you. He sees you and he loves you and he wants you to rest in your being seen this morning. And then on the other side, we have those of us who are just kind of asking ourselves. We're just asking, like, am I in danger of being like this man? <laughs> Maybe most of us could say, well, I'm not the wealthiest of the wealthy. I'm in no, by no means an elite. But am I in danger of walking by people every single day who have needs, who aren't seen, and I don't see them? Are we ignoring the Lazaruses that are all around? Do we see them, let alone know their names? Are we willing to look them in the eye and meet a need? And I'll just say that the church, the people of God, should be leading the way in this. And so God, we open ourselves up to you. In this moment, God, I pray that you would just reveal your heart to us once again. And God, would you just show us where we are, maybe in this story or in this moment. God, if we acknowledge and confess that we are among the unseen, God, would you, in a way that only you can do, would you help us to feel seen and loved and acknowledged by you? And God, would you also help us, the body, the church, to be faithful in seeing others and caring for them as you've always called us to do. Help us to not get so caught up in the things that don't matter or God, help us to not continue to be so caught up in patting ourselves on the back because look at all these boxes we're checking and yet we fail to do the most important thing you've called us to do to see and serve the needy among us and around us. God, if we confess this morning that we don't know any needy people, that we don't see any needy people, God, would you send us to those places? Because they are there. 
exist, they are there. Help us to not cast them to the side or ignore them. God, this morning, may we be able to respond to your great love, to your seeing us. May we be able to respond by loving and seeing others. We pray this in your name. Amen. You can stand as we sing. I just want to acknowledge for a minute that as I was reflecting on this passage and I was really especially struggling to come up with a really good response song because it's such a weird passage, but I was really struck by, I can't really play and talk at the same time, I'm sorry. I was really struck by how that he said, you know, you had really good things in your life and Lazarus didn't have any good things and now he's being comforted. So it kind of felt like there was a sense of it's going to be worth it, all the things that we go through, that I think if we don't believe that, then we're going to hold back. We're going to hold some things back, whatever that thing is for us. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's something else, whatever our idol is, if we don't really believe that it's going to be worth it. So that was just on my heart to ask God, help us to see no matter what we go through, no matter what we have to give up, and the hard things, some that are related to our faith and some that aren't. Lazarus just had like a, a sickness and he was poor. He wasn't being persecuted for his faith. He just had a really hard life. But in the end, it was worth it because God came in and comforted him. So I just want us to think in about that as we sing these words, like our hope is found in Jesus. It's not found in money. It's not found in our own comforts or security, and just kind of releasing some things. Maybe God will put something on your heart, but just having an attitude of surrender, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal what are those things that we're holding back, and to just let him comfort us to know that, like, in the end, his presence, that's the thing. You know, we don't know a lot about, like, what eternity looks like exactly, but it's his presence. And I love this song because it says, if you're not here, I don't want to be. And that should be the cry of our heart. Like, we want to be where he is. We want to be in his presence. And it's going to be so worth it. Speaking of C.S. Lewis, if you haven't read it, you should find it. It's free online. There's an essay he wrote called The Weight of Glory. It's the only thing I've read about heaven that, like, made me really excited. Like, it wasn't this weird thing of, like, angels on the clouds with harps or whatever. He just said that every person is born with a hole in their heart, this a longing that cannot be filled, and we spend our lives trying to fill it. And, and he, what heaven is, is, is having that hole filled. It's having that thing that we've always wrestled with our whole lives satisfied. And that just was like, wow, like, yeah, that's amazing. And that's worth everything that we might go through in this life. So anyways, I hope that helps as we sing this, just... The altars are open if you want to kneel at your chair, raise your hands, whatever is comfortable for you that feels like an, just an expression of surrender to God and asking him to come and just help you with those things as we sing this. Um, it's the Holy Spirit who does the work, amen? So let's sing it together.
to reduce everything we just acknowledged uh, down to dropping a few coins in an alabaster box and then calling it good, right? Like we did that, we're good. But this is one component that flows really well from what we just heard, that um, twice a year in February and September, we encourage you all who can to be collecting change. And of course, you don't have to just give change. You can give cash, you can write a check, but it is kind of a helpful thing to have a little box that collects the change that we end up with a lot of times. And then we bring that and we donate that to the Alabaster offering. Um, and and that's, that is a church, a, a denomination-wide uh, invitation twice a year. And so uh, this month, every year, the Church of the Nazarene in churches all across the world are collecting this offering, and 100% of that offering does go to the building of, of structures. What I love about that is that it reminds us that in, in some of these countries, and certainly this can happen here, but a lot of times in these countries or these poorer areas, the kingdom of God shows itself in organic ways where it's a group of people that are gathering together. It's a group of people who are gathering together to declare hope and the gospel. It's, it's people seeing other people and inviting them to be a part of a community, of the kingdom community, and then suddenly there's a need, right? There, this, this community is growing, and so now there's a need for a house, for the pastor or a building for this church or a school because look at all these people who want to answer the call to ministry and now we need to educate them. And so that's what the Alabaster Offering supports. Uh, it's those areas around the world that are growing, those congregations that are growing and because they're growing, their needs are growing. And so the Alabaster Offering really helps us to meet those needs all around the world. So I hope that um, helps you and encourages you as you'll just continue to hear from us for the next few weeks to the invitation to give to the Alabaster offering. So that box is in the foyer. You can drop that off um, out there as you leave this morning. A few other quick announcements before we dismiss. Um, just don't forget about the September uh, item that we are collecting this month for the shoebox, and that is these water bottles. I won't go into great detail because we've done that uh, multiple times, but that's just your reminder that that's what we are collecting this month. Um, also, I want to let you know to mark your calendars I shared last week uh, for October 14th, uh, where we will have a uh, fall gathering at Eckert and Milstadt and um, just to kind of clarify something that I didn't necessarily clarify last week is that the church, in case you're not familiar with this, um, I haven't done this yet before, so I was still kind of unsure how it works too, um, but the church has paid for the bonfire sites um, so that we can have those bonfire sites together, um, but you'll need to purchase your own tickets for, for your family um, that you will bring that day. And from what I understand, it's probably best to purchase those up front, but maybe you pay a little bit more if you buy them that day. Um, but we are still kind of on the lookout because Eckert's will share sometimes like a half-off deal for October, so we're still looking for that. If you want to hold off, we'll let you know if we find that, and then you can snag your tickets for half-off if you wanted to wait. But just to kind of clarify, that's how that's going to work. Uh, you can sign up in the foyer because we are trying to plan and prepare for how many, um, however many are coming, so if you wouldn't mind signing up. And you can also bring, uh, the church will be providing hot dogs, and so you can sign up to bring some of the other items that we will uh, need for that to be a really fun night together. 
okay? Uh, Lunch Bunch is going to be meeting at noon on September 28th at Bandanas this month. That's where we will be meeting. Um, I don't have a slide for this, but I do have a couple of announcements regarding Restore Network. Um, So one of those is that for the next few weeks, they will be collecting pajamas just like they do every year. Um, And so you will be encouraged to bring those over the next few weeks. We'll have a container for those in the foyer. Um, And also be looking for an email where I will share specifically some sizes, some specific sizes that they are in need of. But you can also bring any size of pajamas. But those all go to the families um, who are with Restore Network. And then also, it's not a bad idea. I wanted to kind of throw this out there. Um, It's not a bad idea to start collecting your gift cards because we do collect those for the Restore Network families every December or we kind of start doing that in November, uh, but then they're given to families in December. So if you want to go ahead and start purchasing those so that we can kind of get on the ball with that, then this is your reminder uh, to do so. Just be on the lookout for those gift cards, okay? And last but not least, certainly not least, um, this morning, right, well, this afternoon now, um, downstairs in about 10 minutes, um, Craig is inviting all of you who are wanting to either participate in the community garden. Um, We had several people say that, yes, I want to be on that team uh, to plan and prepare. So if you were one of those, you are invited. Also, though, anybody can come if you would like. He's going to share a very detailed presentation of kind of the vision for the community garden. And so if you are interested in that, you are more than welcome to meet them downstairs in 10 minutes. Um, and he's going to be going over all those details and maybe some questions that you might have. Um, and that's going to be 10 minutes from now. Okay? If you have any other questions, you can let me know or see Craig. Well, this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to turn these lights back on for you. I want to invite you to receive this benediction this morning. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may you go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior. May you go and walk in the truth that he loves you and he sees you, and may you seek to see and serve those in your midst this week. You are loved. Have a great day.